You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Yeah, thank you. I'm just, so I'm suddenly realizing, and this might date me, but some of you guys will identify with this. I don't, I don't think Amazon existed when I graduated high school, so like, I never got a gift card. I just wonder, like, is there a way to like, retroactively, anybody who graduated from something pre-Amazon, I'm totally joking. That's a, it's probably a bad use of church funds. We're excited for you guys. Really, really excited for you guys. Um, I'm excited today. As Reese said, my name is Roger. If we've never met, I hope we get to meet sometime soon. Um, excited to be worshiping with you. And today, continuing our message series called Life in New Creation. And today, I've got a sermon uh, for you called uh, Learning to Recognize Jesus. Now, in case you didn't notice, and in case it wasn't clear from the fact that I am now like middle-aged, right, we're living in the future. Have you guys realized this? Anybody like into like technology? You guys like technology? How many of you guys have a smartphone? Do you have a smartphone? You got a smarty pants phone? Some of you don't. Um, it's, it's amazing the technology that we like carry in our pockets. And what fascinates me is the way that the technology we have these days actually interacts with like the analog world, right? It, it interacts with us as human beings and, and in our real life, everyday world, right? Our, our phones can track our actual physical location on the planet, right? We have apps that we can talk to and they will like transcribe what we're saying or like my to-do app, I can say like, hey, call Kelly at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, you know, and it just goes bloop, 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 and it puts it on my calendar and it does all the fancy things, right? Um, another thing that's interesting, though, um, is facial recognition technology. Do any of you guys use any of you guys use the face unlock feature on your phone? Man, you guys are brave. Um, I don't. I've <laughs> I disabled that as well as like a number like deep settings in my phone because I don't necessarily want Google tracking me. Now I realize that like my mug is in a database somewhere. Um, some of you, some of you guys, if you work for particular organizations around here, you you probably are like oh, yeah, your face, you know. All your faces are already somewhere. I feel weird that my phone can recognize me. I don't know. I just feel like that's like a little bit too far. Um, So I don't want to use the technology, but it's still really interesting the way that it works because facial recognition technology is trying to tell computers to do what we naturally do as human beings right? That, that our ability to recognize faces is almost like instantaneous. And so they're trying to figure out, can we teach uh, robots to do this so that it makes it a little bit easier for them to take over the world one day? <laughs> now, facial recognition technology has four steps. And really, these are very simple. Um, they're difficult to program, but they're simple to understand because it's a lot of the way that we do it, right? Number one um, is, is it has to have face detection, right? So a camera detects and locates an image of a face. And it can differentiate the face from anything else. And we do this automatically, right? We, we notice what, what are faces, what are arms, what are legs, what are chairs, just without thinking. So they now have cameras, whether it's alone in a crowd, whether it's a still photograph or video, right? It can separate out, this is a human face. Step two is it has to analyze the face. This is when it gets really creepy, right? An image of that face is captured and it's analyzed and the software kind of reads the geometry of your face with like lines and stuff, right? So key factors are like the distance between your eyes, the depth of your eye sockets, the distance from your forehead to your chin, shape of your cheekbone, the contour of your ears, lips, and chin, and all this kind of stuff. And the aim of this is to do what we naturally do, which is to identify the facial landmarks that are key to distinguishing your face, 
right? And we already know this of people that we're really, really familiar with. We can easily distinguish someone that we know's face out of a crowd with hardly even looking at it, right? So step three, once it analyzes a face and does all the lines and things like this, it then converts that image to data. Um, it makes it a bunch of like ones and zeros, right? It takes this analog information, a face, an actual physical face, and transforms it into a set of digital information, which is data, just based on whatever those features were, right? Your, your face is essentially turned into a mathematical formula, right? Your face is now like an algorithm of some sort that has a unique code. And this unique numerical code is called a face print. Did you guys know you have a face print? I didn't know this. This is a word. I guess it's in the dictionary or something, right? But we know this, right? We have thumbprints, we have fingerprints, and just as those are unique, so is each of our face prints like wholly unique. We have our own face print. Step four then, again, if you're gonna do facial recognition technology, the next step is usually finding a match, right? It's compared against the database, and this is where I get creeped out, right? Like, how many databases? We're in the databases. You know, if you've uploaded a photo to Facebook, you're in. You can't get out of the matrix, guys. Um, but but the, of all those biometric measures, facial recognition is considered the most natural and often the most reliable. And it's the most natural because we don't identify people based on their fingerprints, right? We don't say like, well, hey, who are you, right? You don't, we don't check their fingerprints. Or your irises, irises are also super, right? So if you watch sci-fi movies and they scan your eyeballs, right? Um, even those, we don't recognize people that way. We do it by faces. Now, what I want to explore this morning is this idea that part of living life in new creation, as people who are, who are renewed in the image of God, who are, who are empowered by the resurrection power of Christ, part of living life in new creation is learning how to recognize Jesus in the world around us. That in the same way that we, we are trained to like recognize people's faces, in the same way that facial recognition technology can identify faces, um, I, I think we can learn to do this. In the same way that FRT takes analog information in the world and interprets it into the digital world, I think it's possible for us to take the spiritual world and interpret it into the analog world, right? The real actual plane of existence, right? Where, where we live primarily our lives. We can, we can develop a sort of spiritual recognition technology. Can I coin that term this morning? I don't know if this is a real thing. I'm trademarking it now. Um, and it's, on the, it's gonna be on the internet, so it's true. Spiritual recognition technology. If you wanna use a real religious term, you could say discernment, right? <laughs> I think it's more fun to talk about spiritual recognition technology. We can develop this and thereby learn to recognize Jesus just in the world as we go about our business. And the steps to this, I think, are, are remarkably very similar to facial recognition technology. We've got to have, number one, face detection. Now, the beauty of this is this, this information is already given to us. The Bible helps us out greatly with this. The, the Gospels are key right, to helping us just understand, well, who is Jesus? What is he like? Now, of course, we're talking a little metaphorically. We're not talking about his physical face. But if you're looking for a physical Jesus, he probably looks very, very Middle Eastern, right? But we're not just talking about physical face, but who is Jesus? And how can we uh, interpret him in the world around us? Second, we got to do face analysis. So it's, the Bible is there, but that doesn't do us a whole lot of good until we start reading the Bible to learn what are Jesus' facial landmarks, right? What does Jesus' face print look like? We actually have to do the reading, right? We have to, we have to do the thinking about, well, what do I notice about him? We have, to, we have to discuss this with one another. We're like, well, what do you notice when in this story? What do you notice about this when he says that sort of thing, right? And then third, we got to convert that image into data. 
But, and what we're doing is, again, we're taking this from spiritual into analog. We can take this and turn it into to data in the real world. We can take, break down what we see of Jesus in the Gospels into really specific details. And we can know things like, well, Jesus is loving, right? Jesus is patient, right? Jesus um, is persevering. Jesus is godly, right? We can, we can name all these sort of attributes or qualities that start pinpointing specific details and markers of him in the real world, these tangible expressions of, of who Jesus is in the world around us. And then there's no, step number four is just finding a match, which what I would say is if you do steps two and three, if you spend time reading the gospels and reading the gospels and rereading and rereading and rereading the gospels, and then three, you're doing this work of, of kind of analyzing that data and going, well, what do I know about Jesus? My gut is, is that you'll start living your life and you will just notice essences of Jesus popping up all over the place, right? In the people that you meet, in the songs you listen to, in, in the products you buy, in the movies you watch, just like wherever, right? You will just see elements of like, oh, I see Christ in the world around me, even if I'm not actively trying to find him. So if you've got Bibles, we're going to read a little Bible today. We're not reading one of the Gospels. We're in 2 Peter. Yeah, you guys read the Gospels on your own. Today, we're just going to read a little bit of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. And before we read this, would you guys pray with me? We're going to just invite the Holy Spirit um, to open up our hearts so we can hear him today. Yeah, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We humble ourselves before you. And, and we just confess, Lord, like we're just such simple humans sometimes, and sometimes we can miss what is so obvious, or maybe what ought to be so obvious, the ways in which you are present around us. Sometimes we're just too busy. Sometimes we're distracted. Sometimes we're, we've just got information overload. God, whatever, whatever the reasons are why we might miss you, God, we just lay those before you and we just ask for the grace of your Holy Spirit. So even now, Holy Spirit, continue to do the work you've already been doing in this room today. Would you help us to hear your voice through these scriptures? Lord, I pray that your voice would be much louder than my own, that you would do your work of transformation in our hearts today. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so here we go. This is Second Peter. This is a letter written by the Apostle Peter to kind of like a collection of, of churches. I mean, he says, his divine power, meaning God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, I want to take a look at this passage right here by just kind of asking six questions, right? Some of these you might already be thinking and asking in your mind. If not, I just pose these as good questions to ask when you're reading the Bible. Number one, you might really ask right off the bat, if you remember this sermon is called uh, Learning to Recognize Jesus, you might read that text and go, what does this have to do with recognizing Jesus? Excellent question. Um, It's not very obvious, so I'm going to try to make it obvious. The end game, if we read in verse 8 here, right? The, the verse 8, all of this that Peter is building up to is about being effective, if I can take those, those adjectives and make them positive instead of negative, right? He wants us to be effective and productive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have to talk about this word knowledge because most of the time when we use this word in English, right, we're talking about information, right? We think data sets. We think something that we learned in like school or from a book or a podcast or something. Like this is knowledge that, that we need to gain. Um, and in Western culture, knowledge is key, right? It's, it's like prime real estate. But, but that's not really what Peter has fully in mind. Peter actually uses, there's two Greek words. Peter uses these Greek words for knowledge four times in this very beginning passage, one of which he didn't read up in verse two. He uses them four times, but there's two different words. Um, and, and these are two Greek words that interestingly are not that dissimilar from Spanish. Hay hispanohablantes aquí? Any Spanish speakers in the room? Algunos. All right. Gabe dice no. Now, there's two Spanish words, right? And they are saber, and conocer. Everybody say this with me. Saber. Conocer. There's your Spanish lesson for the day. Once a Spanish teacher, always a Spanish teacher. This is the way that it works. Saber is, is more like facts, data, information, right? So I could say something like, oh, see, sí, yo sé Nueva York. Now, if I translate that literally into English, it would be like, yeah, I know New York. But if I really want to capture the meaning of that verb, saber, I'd have to say something, I'd have to add in some words. I'd have to some, say something more like, yeah, I know about New York, right? Oh, I know of New York, like, like I've heard of it one time, right? Maybe I actually watched a documentary and so I can like tell you some like factoids about it or something like that. Now, conocer is a little bit different. Conocer, if I said, yo conozco a Nueva York, again, in English, it was still just like, I know New York, Right? But what it means is like, I really know New York, right? right? And we'd change the tone of our voice. Oh, I know New York, right? It means like, I've lived there at some point in time. Like, I could get around. I could tell you which trains to take to get to where. I could tell you all the best restaurants or clubs. I could tell you all the side streets not to walk down, right? All those kinds of things. I know New York. So saber is like intellectual head knowledge, which is not bad, right? It's just a different kind of knowledge. It's intellectual head knowledge. Conocer is experiential heart knowledge. You really know something intimately and personally. Now, the nuances of this Greek word that Peter uses here in this verse about our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ is more like conocer. He is not interested in us learning more factoids about Jesus, right? This is a a full, like, thorough knowledge. It's a recognition. We're able to recognize Jesus. We're so acquainted with him that we can recognize him based on certain marks, right? Spiritual recognition technology, trademark Roger Otero, 2022. So perhaps what we could do is we could take this last verse and we could substitute the word knowledge and instead plop in the word recognition, right? Where instead we could say like, that the end game about, is about being effective and productive in your recognition of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. That, that it really happens and it's fruitful that as you live your life, you just recognize him. Oh, there he is. There he, he's over there. I saw a bit of him in this thing or in that person. We're not, really, not merely knowing facts about Jesus, but being able to recognize his face print wherever you might come across him in life. And so what Peter is saying in this passage is we, we're going to kind of go back through it a little bit here. What Peter's saying is that if you take into account what, what he just told you that God has done, which we'll talk in a minute about what God has already done, and then if you put into action what Peter's encouraging you to do, what he says is that your spiritual recognition technology will be fully functional, right? You turn that app on and boom, it scans and it recognizes Jesus. You will be effective and productive in your recognition of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this whole passage, this whole first section of 1 Peter, this introduction to this letter is all about the church really knowing Jesus and recognizing him. So this question here, we just mentioned this a second ago, what has God already done for us? And we're going to breeze past this kind of quickly, but it's, it's foundational to what Peter's saying here. Um, he's saying God has done two things for us. One, God has already given us everything we need. Verse three, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. There is nothing that you need in order to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, to really know him, like conocer, kind of know him. There's nothing that you need to be able to recognize him in the world that you do not already have at your disposal. There's no special trick, right? There's no, like, like, online course that you need to take. He's already given it to us, which the great thing of this means is that we can kind of stop searching, right? We can stop looking for the silver bullet. There's no tricks of the trade. So God has already given us everything that we need, guys. Now, if you're here today and, or if you're listening to this online or anything, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, He's offering you everything that you need. He's offering. It's free. Through the sacrifice and through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, he invites us into his family and he gives us everything we need in order to just really get to know him. Best deal in the universe. I encourage you to take it. Second, God has given us his great and precious promises, right? Through this, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's not like God gave us everything that we need and then said, all right, step aside and you know, go, go, go build your spiritual recognition technology. Hope it works out for you, right? Hope you figure out. Hope you crack the code. Hope you put all the pieces together right. Hope you, you learn all the right handshakes and the tricks of the trade and that sort of thing. No, it, it's based on God's promises. He's given us promises that knowing and recognizing Jesus is indeed possible. I would say not just possible, but it's inevitable. It, it, it will just happen if you continue to engage, if you just continue to seek as imperfectly as you might do that, you will start recognizing Jesus because God promises that's the way that spiritual Recognition technology works. He's given us promises that all of our hard work will pay off because he has already done the hardest work. Now, th there is a little bit of hard work involved here. 
right? God has already done some things, but then the next question is, well, what are we encouraged to do for ourselves? This is kind of the central chunk of this passage we just read. What are we encouraged to do for ourselves? Peter says this, verses five through seven. For this reason, right? Because God has given us everything we need, because he's given us these promises, here's what you do. Make every effort to add to your faith, goodness into goodness, knowledge into knowledge, self-control into self-control, perseverance into perseverance, godliness into godliness, mutual affection into mutual affection, love. Tongue twister. Thank you. Now, that, a little bit of word nerdery. You guys ready for some more deep word nerdery? I think this is super helpful. I think this is super duper helpful. So if you like groan when like Greek comes in or something, you're like, you already did Spanish, Roger, stop. Trust me, this is beautiful. Now, the NIV has this phrase, add to your faith, which is fine. A couple other translations do add to your faith. There's a few other options. By far, the most popular translation of this verb um, is supplement. Now, here's a little Bible trick. If you read the Bible and, and you start noticing in some passage that there's some word that pops up like several different ways to say it in several different translations, it means because it's a tricky word. It also probably means it's an, an exceptionally beautiful word that we're just trying to figure out how do we express this, right? So I think, I think this is when it gets to be a whole lot of fun. Now, whether we're doing add to your faith or supplement your faith, both of them to me have a little bit of a shortcoming in that they both seem to imply that there's sort of like some bonus add-ons to our faith. Like, you got faith? Well, good. Have you tried godliness now? You know? 1995. You know? Like, or you just, you tack on perseverance or you tack on some patience or you tack on mutual affection or, you know, maybe you add them on, maybe you don't. They're kind of ancillary. I, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's what he means. So this word is a beautiful and rich word. It means so much more than just add to or supplement in some kind of way. So here's the word, epikorigeo. Man, that's spot on, Charles. Everybody give Charles a hand. Now, everybody say this one with me, epikorigeo. Beautiful. You guys sound so smart. Now, epikorigeo is actually a compound word, which means it's three words kind of smashed into one which is why it gets kind of tricky. Like if there's not one Greek word that they have to make up three words to make up one Greek word, then we, we can add up some different words together too, right? If we're trying to understand it. Now, the root of this word is koros. Everybody say this with me, koros, which not surprisingly is related to our word chorus, right? Shocking, right? I know. This is where we get the word chorus and then via through Latin as well. And what this means is quite exactly what it sounds like. It's a group of singers, right? It's a group of singers and or musicians and or dancers. This would be, it's just like public entertainment, right? There would be some chorus, a group of singers, dancers, entertainers, right? In, in modern lingo, we would call this like a performing arts troupe, okay? This is like, this is like glee before glee was, was hip, Okay. Yeah, I did, I did a Glee type thing in high school. It's called Class Act. We killed it. It was amazing. I was in the band. I was not a singer or a dancer. Yeah, such a disappointment. But this is like a performing arts troupe, right? That's all this is. Um, if we were living in Greco-Roman society, the worship team that was up here just a few minutes ago, thank you guys for leading us. That was a beautiful time in the Lord's presence. Um, we would call that a choros, right? There's singers, there's musicians. Every now and then Gabe would like shake a little bit, right? Now, the second way we build out this word is korigeo. Everybody say korigeo. We're turning koros into a verb by adding the verb ego. The verb ego just means like to lead, guide, or direct. So korigeo means to direct a chorus, right? 
to direct a chorus. This is what band leaders do. Um, this is what choir directors or choreographers do, right? They take the various parts and the people and the, the, the music that they have or the dances that they have, they make all these various parts fit together and, and form this beautiful performance, this beautiful piece of art, right? That would be entertaining. Then, thirdly, we're going to make this word a little more complicated. We're going to add this prefix epi, which epi in Greek can mean a whole bunch of different things, kind of depending on what it's used for. In this context, it kind of means something like super or like, um, like over or head, right? Some, it's, someone, it's doing something that is bigger or, or more broad and all-encompassing than even the director is doing. So the director's directing the band or whatever, this epi means doing something bigger. Imagine this situation. Uh, there's a director who has a show that she wants to put on like downtown. And she's got the, the script. She's, she's got these musicians on board. She's got dancers and singers. Um, she's already, she's like booked the venue. She knows it's available. She's sketched out the set and the costumes and how all this can work. She's, she's got a quote and a marketing plan from a local ad agency, like for all the promotion that's got to happen. She, she has everything she needs. Here's all the parts and pieces. She has everything she needs except for the funds to actually pull it off, right? So what she needs is someone who will epicorageo. She needs someone who will epicorageo. She needs a patron or a backer who will fund the project. Epicorageo is like to, to patronize a chorus. Now, we don't tend to use that word patronize. When we use patronize, we mean like talking down to somebody, like don't patronize me, right? Or you patronize your kids because they're driving you bonkers and you just do it and you don't feel bad. There's always therapy later in life for them. Um, <laughs> In colloquial terms, though, this is like backing a project. How many of you guys have ever backed like an album or a book on Patreon, Kickstarter, right, video games or anything, right? Like this is what we do. There is a project that we believe in and we're like, I want to support this. I want to see this thing come to life. Now, here's where this matters in what Peter is saying. I'm pausing for effect because I really want you to listen. Your faith has everything it needs. God has already lined everything up. What it needs now is someone who will epicorageo, who will back it, who will fund it, who will put in whatever it's needed, what it needs. And that someone, friends, is you. He's given you all the pieces. And now Peter's telling us, epicorageo your faith. Back your faith, patronize your faith, fund your faith. God's given you everything you need. He's, can, can we say, okay, uh, yes, God, I see what's possible here. I see all that you've given me. Like, let me invest in it. I'm willing to put my own money into this thing and bring it to life. I want to see it really flourish and be all that it can become. Which leads to question four. Okay, Roger, like, what's this going to cost me? I didn't realize this was going there, right? Because this is what we would ask, right? So imagine that director who wants to put on that, that production downtown. She starts sitting down and she's giving you this pitch and you're like, oh man, I know where this is going. She's about to ask me for money, you know? So you're like, skip, what's the bottom line on top? How much are you asking for, right? The cost, friends, the cost that Peter is laying out to us that we have to invest is this list of qualities in verses five through seven. 
These are the things that your faith, your ability to recognize Jesus, this is what your faith needs from you as a backer, as a patron. These, these are not non-consequential add-ons. These are not ancillary. The success of this whole spiritual recognition technology project that you want to get off the ground, it depends on these things. And this is step three, right? If we're thinking about the steps of facial recognition technology, this is where we're converting the image to data. These analog data are qualities of Jesus himself that we're encouraged to invest as patrons of our own faith. So your backing capital, this is your backing capital that you have to put into it, right? Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Now, I by no means think that this is like the all-inclusive list, right? Similar to like the fruits of the Spirit or gifts of the Spirit or even like various lists of sins in the Bible, I think at some point you just got to kind of cut off the list. But for some reason, these were seven that really came to like Peter's mind. So we're going to camp out with these a little bit in a few minutes. These are the things that God is not saying, do these so that you will please me, right? He's saying, if you invest these into your life and into your faith, the spiritual recognition technology project is going to get off the ground. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Now comes the question of, like, where do I invest these? Right? And let me just point this out. First of all, the context of this entire letter of 2 Peter is communal. He's writing it to you all. So if we're reading this and we're just reading you, what he really means is y'all, right? Over and over again, all the time. Uh, we don't epicorigeo our faith all on our own. We, we, don't, we don't patronize or back or invest in our faith in isolation, in like some little bubble. It's always within the context of community. And none of these qualities, really, if you think through them, none of them are developed or invested in individually. They all have to be invested within the context of relationships with other real human beings, right? And we'll just take one for example. The, the verb um, perseverance, it could also mean uh, patience. It can also mean patience, right? You need more perseverance to keep going. You need patience, right? Um, it's a lot easier to be patient when I don't have to be around other people. I could be the most patient person in the world when I'm not eating dinner with my kids, right? But, but that's exactly the test of, of whether or not my patience is going to grow and mature, right? I only really learn how to become patient within the context of other people. Otherwise, I'm just fooling myself and I think I'm really patient, right? So take all these other ones, mutual affection, love, godliness, whatever, you will be the most godly person in the world until you start hanging around other people and then you realize you're not and there's some opportunity there, right? Now, in the Bible, there's two main contexts that really, I think if you read the Bible front to back, there's kind of two main contexts where all the time there's these contexts for, for becoming more like who it is that God has designed us to be. That is family and spiritual community, all right? Within our, our earthly family, whatever that looks like for you, is a primary place where God has designed for you to invest in your faith. And the second is spiritual community, church family, right? 
those people that we not just do religious things, like sing religious songs and listen to someone talk about religious things, and we say religious prayers and do those things, but, but where we really get to know each other, where we really live a little bit of life together, where, where suddenly we've spent enough time with some person that we realize, like, I, I'm really rubbed wrong, and I want to be very ungodly right now, you know? This is, this is, this is the real stuff. Now, one of the primary ways that we do this as a church is this is a huge reason why we have small groups, right? Angela was talking about small groups. Um, it's not just about the content of the small group. Sometimes that's really important. It's not just about what the group is going to be doing together. Sometimes that's a really big pull and that's important. But the, the, the important thing here is it's a smaller group where you can actually be known, where you can actually learn what it means to invest these things of mutual affection, which is the verb Philadelphia, Right? brotherly love, right? You can't learn how to live, love brothers and sisters if you don't hang out with brothers and sisters. So really quick, I want to do two things as we close. The first one is this. Um, I want to pray for our small group leaders. So small groups all kick off in a couple of weeks. And these are people, guys, who have heard somewhere in their spirit, the voice of God stir something that says, I want to create a space for people to gather together to do this, right? Or to do that, and, and, and they've kind of stepped out on a limb and said, I'll, I'll be that person. I'll create the space, you know. I'll, I'll make the plans. I'll send out the emails. I'll structure all the things. I'll, I'm going to be there every week. I'm building this in or every other week or however the group meets, right? I'm going to be the one. But they're not just doing it for themselves. They're doing it for you because it's an opportunity for you to invest in your faith. So really quick, when I call your names like small group leaders, would you just kind of stand up where you are and just kind of where you are, we're going to pray for you in just a moment. Um, let's see, we got Craig Johnson. Craig, where you at, man? Stand up. Craig's leading Alpha in Aiken this summer. Um, Reese and Mary Margaret. Reese and Mary Margaret are leading biking at the canal, which either sounds really fun or really horrible. I mean, like, canal is better, but biking in June or July in the South, you know. Um, Angelo Otero is leading Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Um, Katie and Sam Sahuni. You guys moved. There we go. Um, they're leading a group called Friends, which is like a fellowship group for young adults. You don't have to know how to pronounce their name or even spell it right. You just, you just have to be a young adult. Um, I'm, leading, I'm leading Game Night. There we go. If you're, if you're a Game Night nerd. Yeah, not so many cheers on that one. It's okay. <laughs> My feelings aren't hurt. Phil Lewis. I saw Phil. There he is, other side. Uh, Phil is leading a group called The Truth About Us, which is a really fantastic sounding book. Um, Mary Rupert, Mary Hansen, are one of the Marys here? Mary Hansen's in the back. Uh, they lead the Tuesday women's group, if you're into that in the morning time. Uh, Reese can stay standing. Reese is also leading Vineyard DNA, especially if you're a newer person to the church and you want to learn about um, what, what is this whole vineyard thing. That's a fabulous way to do it. And Joy Lynn, where was Joy? Over here. Uh, Joy's leading Vineyard Singles, which is already going gangbusters. They might run out of space, so you might want to get in while you can. Now, these people, again, have just put themselves out there and they said, like, okay, I'm going to create this space, right? So if you're near one of them, you can go ahead and lay hands on them um, just as a show of blessing. If you're, if you're nearby, you can scoot if you need to. If you're just semi nearby and you want to extend your hands, that's fine. But would you guys just join me in blessing them? Yeah, God, we thank you for every single one of these people who have stood up and said yes to you to leading a small group for this summer. We thank you for the sacrifices that they have already made to pull this off and the sacrifices that they're sort of promising to make throughout this summer. 
And God, we just pray that real relationships would flourish in these contexts. And that as people invest in all of these qualities, like we can read in 2 Peter, that this would be a place where those are really tested, where they're really grown, even when we feel like we're failing at it or it feels uncomfortable. God, may these be safe spaces to just be ourselves, to be weak, to have failures, but to be people who grow and who are constantly maturing into the people that you are growing us to be. God, we thank you for these groups. We pray your blessings on all the folks who have already signed up for these groups, all the folks who are yet to sign up for these groups. Um, Would your Holy Spirit show up in powerful and surprising ways this summer? Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. We love you. We love you. Now, the final question, we're just going to spend a couple quiet, prayerful moments with this, is, okay, I get this, right? Like, this is all about recognizing Jesus. I I understand what God has already done for me. I'm accepting that. Um, I'm encouraged to invest in patronizing my own faith. I'm on board. I know it's going to cost me something, but I want to invest these things in that. I want to do it in the context of community. But the sixth question, well, like, which investment should I focus on first? Which of these investments should you focus on first? Because if you're like me, sometimes you could read a list. It's even just seven words long. And suddenly, if I, as soon as I start thinking about it, I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. That's a lot. I don't know if I can do all this. And, and quickly, it's just it's overwhelming, and I just kind of like shut down. What I want to suggest to you today, I think I hear from the Lord that like his invitation to you today is just probably just for one of these. Maybe there's just one of these that he really wants you to invest in. So what we're going to do is a little short spiritual exercise. Now, if you would, imagine for yourselves like a, a wooden barrel. Or just look at the screen. There's a wooden barrel. It has all these slats, right? Now, in this, this barrel, like, you want to fill it with water or whatever, right? Like, if you want to fill it with wine or bourbon, like, I'm not judging, right? It's going to be filled with something. Make it as fun or as boring as you like. But, of course, a wooden barrel can only hold as, as much water or liquid or whatever as those slats will allow. So if you want to, for a moment, you can close your eyes. You can hold that image of a barrel in your mind. If you forget what it looks like, you just open your eyes real quick. Visual aids are good. Now imagine there's this barrel, and this barrel is your faith. This is you. This is your faith following Jesus, trying your best Whatever that is, right? Here's this barrel. And there's, there's, there's seven slats in it. There's seven slats that are all kind of bound together with these metal strips. And you want that barrel to be as full as possible because you want to know Jesus. You want to recognize him. You want to see him in the world around you. And the fuller that barrel is, the better chance you've got, right? Now, the thing is, is maybe some of these slats are really kind of high up there right? Almost all the way to the top. Some of the slats are maybe like three quarters of the way up or halfway up. And, but one of them at least is going to be like the lowest one. And that lowest one is, is kind of the cap. Otherwise, as it's being filled, it just it spills out and it's not holding as much water anymore. And just ask the Lord to identify to you of these seven, like what is that slat 
that you're really calling me, Lord, and inviting me to invest in? Is it goodness? Goodness means it's like virtue or like moral excellence. Maybe it's knowledge. This is the one time Peter uses the other word knowledge, which is more like saber. It's just information, learning. Like, Lord, do I just need to learn more? Maybe there is. Especially if you're younger in your faith, maybe, maybe this is a place that there's just stuff you just need to learn and be taught by other people. Maybe it's self-control. Maybe your lowest slat is self-control, that inner strength, that willpower, right? Like power over your own impulses and drives. Maybe it's perseverance. It's endurance or steadfastness. Again, it can also mean patience. Maybe patience with other people. Maybe patience is like a steadfast waiting for whatever it is you're hoping is going to happen in your life. Maybe you just need more perseverance or patience. Maybe you need to invest in that. Maybe it's godliness. This is another way of saying just becoming more like God in holiness and, and just piety towards God, where everything in my life is directed Godward in some kind of way. My work or how I parent my kids, or the kind of friend that I am, is all of this have the marks of God on it in some way. Maybe your lowest slat is mutual affection. Again, this is the word Philadelphia, right? Brotherly kindness. Love of brothers and sisters. Maybe you know, like, like I like brothers and sisters in the faith. I don't know that I love them a whole lot, Right? If I'm going to be honest with you guys, this is why I'm doing game night. This is the 100% reason why I'm doing game night is just for fellowship so that I can just learn to love people better. I get too serious. Sometimes you need to love people and just have fun. So that's me. Maybe it's love. The love here is agape, right? The God kind of love that is unconditional. We talked about this one in a past sermon series in February as well. This unconditional love of God. Maybe, maybe you don't have much unconditional love for yourself. Maybe your love for yourself is very conditional. Maybe your love for other people is very conditional. Now, don't overthink it, but just in your own heart, before you and God, can you name that slat? Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love. And just resolve in your heart right now before just you and the Lord to just say, Lord, I want to invest this more into my faith that I might know you better. Hmm. God, I, I bless all of the clarity that you're bringing right now. God, and we just, we submit ourselves to you and we choose to not overthink it. It's not overanalyzing it. We just trust that whatever you highlighted to us, Lord, is, is, is good. It's good. Whatever of these we invest in, God, we just trust that it's because you have good purposes in mind for us that we might know you more. Jesus, may we learn to recognize your face. We want to see you in the world around us. If you come to us in so many different and varied and surprising ways, Lord, we don't want to miss you. We want to know you. We want to recognize you.
Amen. Amen.